0: hello and welcome to this week's episode of the holding the ladder in sport and leadership podcast i'm your host tim rice this week's guest is craig kennedy craig serves as the assistant athletic director and head men's basketball coach at ncaa division 2 spring hill college in Mobile, alabama he's a 38-year coaching and teaching veteran who has coached at troy university georgia southern university auburn university and the university of winnipeg hope you gain a lot for the next few minutes with craig kennedy greetings everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the holding the ladder in sport and leadership podcast i'm your host tim rice and this week's guest coming to us from mobile alabama from Spring Hill College, the headman's basketball coach, Craig Kennedy. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Uh, It's always great to talk with you, and we're all looking forward to uh, getting to know you a little bit better. Of course, I know you well as a good friend, but uh, I'm sure the listening audience will get to learn more about you over the next few minutes. So, welcome.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me, Tim. It's my pleasure. Yeah,
0: well, well, uh, looking forward to kind of hearing about your story. Of course, I know a lot about it because I know you well, and you know, interestingly enough, uh, and Craig will tell you. You know, I I'm a, a Mobile College alum. I still have a hard time saying University of Mobile because I, right. I graduated yeah. in the last night in the last class, uh, 1993 class at Mobile College, the final graduate class. And for years and years, that arch rivalry between the folks on Old Shell Road, uh, just down the road from us, about 13 miles, uh, the Spring Hill College Badgers and the uh, I, I, very good friends with Craig and of course the athletic director and previous guest, uh, Joe Nyland, but, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I grew up in, uh, in a little town outside of Winnipeg, Manitoba and, uh, grew up on a farm. Um, my dad was a teacher and had had some coaching background. I had three older brothers. We had about 30 head of horses and my start in athletics, um, was trying out for the basketball team because it was exceedingly cold that winter, which is, I mean, that's, you know, I don't know if that's it can be more exceedingly cold than it is in winter up there. And, uh, lo and behold, I made the basketball team and that was my option. Otherwise I would have been out doing chores and, and shoveling up after the horses all winter. So that, that gave me a respite from, uh, from chore duty for a little while. And, um, that was really kind of my first first start in athletics and we had had a kid that i went to school with who was a tremendous athlete uh seventh grade he had a mustache already he was six feet tall he was the best athlete in the school and we were doing layups and at some point the coach stopped and said there's only one person here who knows how to do these properly so we all looked at my friend you know assuming it was him and the coach stopped and pointed at me and said, he didn't even know my name. And he said, that one over there, he's the only one who knows how to do them properly. And I, I attribute it to the fact that I had a rim nailed on the side of the barn. So I couldn't run forward. You always had to jump straight up or you'd be smacking your head into the, into the barn wall and uh, you know trans, transfer movement there. And that really was my first acknowledgement of doing something well in sport. And it, it really just fed my passion and then, as as I went along in life, I found out that um, a person we called Uncle Carl, who was married to my dad's cousin, was a phenomenal basketball player. His name was King Carl Ridd, and um, he would have been the first Canadian drafted in the NBA, and he held George Mike into eight points in a game. Wow. so there was there was some distant lineage connection there with basketball, I suppose.
0: Wow. Well, that anyone that could uh, hold one of the greatest post players in in history to eight points, that's that's saying something.
1: (laughs) That's something else. He was a tremendous player. And um, through him, his daughter went to the University of Winnipeg. My brothers went to the University of Winnipeg. I really got my start coaching as a senior in high school. Um, I was playing on the varsity team and we had nobody for our uh, ninth grade team. And so a friend of mine and I, we coached that team first. And then I got started coaching at the uh, middle school and coached both uh, boys and girls basketball over there. And um, it, we, the girls team, we really had a successful run with them, set a lot of school records and stuff. And, uh, you know, just kind of, it kind of went, went from there that I got more coaching. My dad coached, uh, taught at a big school in Winnipeg called Tech Block High School. And they had had a tremendous basketball program. And I ended up coaching there. And then from there, when I went to the University of Winnipeg, um, kind of did a Pat Riley, went from announcing games to, to coaching there. You know? And it just kind of, I guess it kind of took off from there, just my passion for the game.
0: Well, and I, 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 I think I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, the, 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 the history of that women's program at University of Winnipeg. Yeah, we uh, 101 wins and two losses in your years as an assistant there, uh, three national championships and tying the 88 game consecutive win streak by the UCLA Bruins under John Wooden. Uh, how special was it to be a part of
1: that program at that time? Well, that was so much fun because when I got involved, Tom Kendall was the head coach and probably one of the best coaches I've ever been around. And University of Winnipeg had a had a great history because before Tom Kendall was a guy named Vic Pruden. And Vic, I got to know through my dad because Vic was teaching and coaching at TechVoc High School. And I got to work with him for a couple of years. And he had coached the Canadian junior national team. So he had really set things in place. And then I got involved with Tom Kendall, who was, who was just a brilliant, brilliant coach. And we really were kind of at a crux because we had always been good, but couldn't get over the hump. And we just made a decision that, listen, we're confident in our abilities to coach the game. We've got to bring in kids with great attitudes and and tremendous athleticism. And we did, we brought in, I think it was eight kids the first year and really kind of gutted the team. And that was the turnaround in getting the kids who, who had the work ethic and had the desire and had the athleticism. And then we would teach them the skills. So the first year that we really got going, we finished second at the national championship. And I always remember, because we were flying home, I think it was in Prince Edward Island that year, or Halifax, it was somewhere on the East Coast, and Coach Kendall and I looked at each other, and his wife was, was also an assistant coach, and she was a sports psych major, and then a guy named Sheldon Stashko was our other assistant coach, and, and Coach Kendall and I were, were very simpatico in, in, in the thinking and stuff, and uh, as we all were, but I remember he and I sitting there, and we said, listen, we got to take a little bit of a break from this, so we went to sleep on the plane. About 20 minutes later, we woke up, we looked at each other and went, okay, that was long enough
0: yeah. and,
1: and got into it. And that's when we started on the run, you know, where the, where the team won three national championships in a row and, and 88 in a row. But it was special, special group of kids. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously, you know, you're the, you're the head men's basketball coach at Spring Hill College, but you're also the assistant athletic director. What, what does that uh, job entail?
1: Well, it, it entails whatever they need me to do, whether it's, I'm, I'm sort of oversee facilities. Uh, so often that means cleaning the floor. Uh, yesterday I was up on the roof cleaning out drains, sometimes doing some scheduling. I also oversee student employment. Um, so I've worn a couple of different hats here. I've also, I was interim men's head coach this past spring. Uh, I was interim assistant women's coach. Um, so I've coached four different sports at the, at the NCAA level
0: wow and so obviously uh you know how important is it to be able to wear many hats
1: it it is at a smaller college um and this is sometimes when you bring somebody in who's been at a d1 level and stuff they don't understand there's things that have to get done and and you may be the one having to do it and and i think my uh, agrarian background of working on the farm kind of has has helped me out in that area
0: oh i'm sure and uh, you know Uh, and I, I, for all those listening, I'm in West Fargo, North Dakota, so I'm not, I'm only three hours South of Winnipeg. So, uh, I understand how cold it is up there because Hey, it's cold here. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But, um, you know, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about uh, how you got your start in sport really. Um, but who held the ladder for you as you were climbing, uh, from the beginning of your sport experience Mm. to now?
1: And that, and that's a great point. A guy named Gordon Mushi, who is a, a phys ed teacher at Springfield Collegiate, where I went to school. Again, our town was so small, we didn't have a stoplight in town. I mean, this was a very, very small uh, rural community. Um, my senior year, we won the equivalent of a state championship. We won a provincial championship in volleyball. So we'd had some, some good programs. And really, the school uh, has put out some tremendous athletes. We've had uh, professional hockey players, professional baseball players, guys that have gone on to the Olympics in volleyball. Um, So we've had some some real successful program. But Gordon Mushi, Wayne Bluting, a guy named Brian Hayes, were the phys ed teachers and coaches who who just ran a, a tremendous program and really encouraged us. Wayne Williams, who was at the junior high when I went to school there, had actually run track at UND and had gone to my dad's school, and he had a great program. And these were good guys because they had challenges to be men, you know, as athletes and to really step up, you know, not to be weak, but to be tough on ourselves, to be very, very team oriented. And, uh, you know, Moosh, I'm still in touch with him once a month. He and I, he and I get on the phone and talk together. So that's been great. Then when I went on, uh, I say my dad's school tech voc there was Vic Pruden, um, Joe DeCurzio, who was a tremendous coach. He coached basically won the equivalent of three provincial championships in a row and he had been a keeper in italy um and he one year he was undefeated and unscored on and he was he just did a great job of getting guys to play hard and and my dad's school was a very homogenous mix of core area kids and, and some tough kids and he got them to play really well then of course when i went to the university of winnipeg tom kendall was it just made such an impact Um, And the year I left there, it was 70 below with the wind chill. And uh, I went as far south as my money could take me. I had actually been the interim head coach at the University of Winnipeg and uh, applied to a variety of schools. Tom Kendall took a job at California, Pennsylvania, took the women's job there. So I took over for him for a year. And, um, you know, I applied to jobs all over the place, really clueless as to the process. I would get the NCAA news mailed to me up in Canada. I would see jobs. I would have to go in and get somebody to, to type out my resume for me, mail that down. By the time I got to the States, the job had probably already closed. But I followed up on, on a couple of jobs and one was at Auburn University. And Joe Champy was one of three coaches who returned my phone call. And he said, yeah, he said, I remember your resume. We don't get many Canadians. He said, we have uh, already hired for this position, but the prep school in town is looking for a job. Would you be interested? And so he hooked me up with with the prep school in town, a place called Lee Scott Academy. And they told me, and it's funny how God works things. They told me, oh, we've already hired. So I said, "Okay, but we'll keep your resume. Well, about three weeks later, they phoned me up in Canada and say, listen, are you still looking for a job? And I said, yes. And they said, well, our guy who's going to coach basketball just quit. Okay, great. So they fly my ex-wife and I down and we interview. Well, while we're down there interviewing, her grandfather dies. who basically has raised her. So overnight we have to decide, are we going to move 1,800 miles away to Auburn, Alabama and leave family and friends behind or what do we do? So we decided we would go for it and and did that. And it was quite a process getting the – getting our green card and stuff through. That was a real adventure, but we came down and, and were, was at uh, Lee Scott for four years. And then I was working five-star camp. I was so fortunate. I was there with, with Howard Garfinkel and, and, and Will Klein and, and, um, and uh, you know people like that who were just so tremendous. And while I was at five-star, I got a call from Auburn and got hired there as a the director of operations my first year and then was an assistant for three years. So obviously, you know, uh, Joe Champy down here is just boy. He is just a tremendous coach and such a professional. Had a great friend named Jeff Dameron, uh, who's now a pastor at a small church, and he coached at some schools. He's always been there for me, great support. And uh, you know, then then uh, a lady named Teresa Garnett, she was at Florida State, uh, great assistant coach there, and then came over to Troy, and then Michael Murphy who is the uh, head coach of Troy and, and, and hired me to work for him. So those are people who have always been there and always, always gave support, you know, yeah. couldn't, couldn't be where I am without those people.
0: Yeah. You know, you're, you're the second uh, podcast guest we've had that, you know, assisted at Auburn. Okay. Uh The other one was Joanne McCauley. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, she talked about, you know, jumping in her uh, Cranberry Volvo and driving from Chicago, Illinois, down to Auburn and yeah. the, to the middle of nowhere at the time in the, the, right. the middle 80s. And, um, you know, uh, obviously a big jump in the adjustment to go from Winnipeg to Auburn, Auburn. to Lee Scott and the Alabama Independent School Association. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, what, what valuable lessons did you learn there?
1: Uh, well, you know, the, the thing that got me, I always remember t- two things when we first got to Auburn is, is going to Win dixie and seeing these tiger paws all the way out of the parking lot to the front of the building. And right. when we are at Winnipeg, you know, we operate in, a- in anonymity so much. And I remember going to the bookstore and I'd buy these University of Winnipeg window decals, and I'd be putting them on the bus stations, you know, try to get some advertising us. And I'd come back the next week. They'd been peeled off. Yet then you get to to Auburn and it's it's just all over the place, you know. And when we had a chance to break UCLA's record, uh, that was the one time we had a massive crowd. And, you know, for us, there was 1500 people at the game. But literally, if we walked across the street to the cafeteria at the University of Winnipeg, no one knew who we were, you know. So now I come to Lee Scott and I got there very late by the time. I always remember we'd been working for uh, an immigration office out of Virginia. And we finally get our papers to come down and I get to the border and I've got the U-Haul and my dad and my dog and my ex-wife and the kids were going to fly down because my children were very, very young. So we get to the border and the guy brings me in and he said, what are you coming down here to do? And he said, I'm coming down here to, to coach and teach. And What kind of offense do you run? So I tell him and he said, do you have a clean air sticker on your vehicle? I said, I don't know if we have a clean air sticker. Well, he said, you can't come into the United States without a clean air sticker. You know, so we go under the hood and we look and find it. He says, okay, he says, I'm giving you one year. And I said, well, I've got a three-year permit to come down here. He says, son, I'm giving you one year. If you don't like it, you can go back where you came from. I said, one year is fine. Thank you very much. So we got down and, you know, we had to call the immigration office and they got it, you know, rectified. So it was three years. But I remember our first game and I'm leaving the school, driving the school bus for Lee Scott. And there's all these cars behind me following me, and I'm thinking, like, do these people not have jobs or something? Because in Canada you'd have a basketball. Nobody came to the basketball games, but they were following us, and it was had we had a really good run. I think we were 24 and two the first year, and and lost in the uh, final four to uh, Tuscaloosa Academy, who had just graduated Pete Chilcutt, who who went to North Carolina in the NBA, and then the, the second year I think we were 20 and four and 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 lost out in the. Uh, Final four again with that bunch, but it, it was just, it was a great experience of, of the Southern hospitality and how nice folks were. Cause Auburn's one of the nicest places in the world. And then coach champion was so great because he would invite me over for meetings and we would talk basketball all the time. Even when I was at Lee Scott and Cliff Ellis was the same way. I mean, those guys opened their practices up. You know, you come in and talk to them. They were, they were so, so good. And I, and I have such a heart of, of gratitude to them. And I have tried to pass that on when I'm here. I always have a, an open door policy and you'll invite people in to come and talk hoops and stuff like that. But it was it was certainly a different level. We had a simplistic system in Canada that worked with our kids and here, obviously, jumping into the SEC coaching against, you know, a Gary Blair and a, an Andy Landers and, and of course, uh, Pat. You know, Coach Pat was just was just Pat Summit So in, impressive. And Sue Gunner down at LSU. I mean, you were in the cauldron. And then, you know, in our last, you know, we won the WNIT uh, in 2003, I think it was, and beat Baylor at Baylor. And then we went to play Connecticut at Connecticut. And uh, we, we beat NC State by 25 in the first round. We go on to play Connecticut at Connecticut, which is a hostile environment. And uh, we had three WNBA players on our team, the, the post I was fortunate to work with. And um, we find out it's Gino Oriama's 500th win if he wins this one. And we're down six at halftime. And I always remember looking at Coach Champion and say, listen, Coach, we're not playing very well. We're shooting about 31%. I think we can make a run at these guys. <laughs> we never score a field goal till four minutes left in the game. And we hit some free throws, but no field goals to four minutes left in the game. And apparently Tarasi had a little conversation with her teammates at halftime that they were not going to lose on uh, Geno's Gino's 500th win. And they, of course they went on to win the, win the NCAA championship that year, but been very, very fortunate in, in just learning the intricacies of the game and that, you know, what works one place isn't always going to work somewhere else. And what's going to work one year, you may have to change to work the next year.
0: Yeah. Well, and you obviously there was a lot of people there that held a ladder for you and that you learned yeah. from you know and yeah. i think uh pe- it's interesting i've found that a, a lot of people think that holding a ladder is all about well you do it because you know that person so many times i even think example uh is holding a ladder too if somebody is a good example sure you no know, uh that that makes a big difference and so um as, in your role at Spring Hill there, um, what were some of your biggest challenges
1: that you face day to day? The weather. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> you, know, you know, just because we are Spring Hill, we are on a hill, and that means water runs down someplace, so it's, it's going to run someplace, um, and so that often creates issues for us, and the humidity creates issues for us, um, just dealing dealing with that. Um, you know, there's always upkeep that needs to be done on a facility. And especially when you deal with those elements, those affect and then dealing where we're a private school that, um, that attracts a different type of, of student and, um, trying to get, you know, working with the kids as we transition, because I was with the school as we initially as a assistant athletic director for compliance. So I was a compliance coordinator as we develop the manuals and the processes and stuff to go through moving from NAI to NCAA. And and that was a real paradigm shift for a lot of people, both on campus and for the student athletes themselves.
0: Yeah, and and, uh, obviously COVID has been a very interesting thing, and even in talking with uh, Coach Nyland about the SIAC your division two conference and being spread out over what seven different states six states whatever it is it's it's uh and having all the different uh you know states having different procedures and whatever uh by the way anyone listening uh everyone thinks that Seattle's the wettest place in the United States no about that it's Mobile Alabama it's it it uh, <laughs> by is. a lot you bet yeah, I, when I lived in Galway, Ireland, they'd always say, oh, yeah, we get so much rain here. I said, well, Mobile gets five times as much rain as Galway gets. Right. And they're like, no way. I said, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it is an adjustment. There's no question about it. Now, um, you know, y- you have uh, young people from all over the world on your teams yeah. there at Spring Hill and on your team, uh, on the men's team in basketball. I mean, what kind of challenge is that to, to recruit for that kind of uh, kid to come to Spring Hill?
1: Well, that, that's a great question. You know, we, we do have an Irish lad this year with us, Eli Lanahan. Uh, we have one from Ukraine, Dennis Bobchuk. We have from Greece, Yorgos Kostikis. Um, you know, so bringing these kids, we have two Australians, Sam Davidson and Tana Kopa. So the biggest thing is when you're looking at film, assessing these kids is will they have the athleticism to defend in our conference? That's, that's the toughest thing um you know and i've never met a coach yet who says yeah my kid's not very athletic and he won't help you every coach tells me their kids their kids one of the hardest worker and they've got a great attitude and i know they can defend it there at your level um and that's the biggest thing is being able to assess do just do they have the athleticism to defend in this conference yeah that's, that's a real challenge
0: Well, and your league is made up of a lot of uh, programs with some really good athletes. Yes. Uh, And, you know, you're you're going all over. I would imagine that's a challenge, too, even though you're uh, in the SIACM divisions.
1: Yeah, east and west.
0: Okay. So, but, you know, you're still probably crossing over at least once. You play everybody. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to Kentucky and you're going to Ohio to like a central state and you're going like you're all over the place. And I'm sure that that must be a challenge uh, for you as, as a head coach to obviously be able to make sure your, your young people are getting everything they need in terms of their academic work done and whatever.
1: Yeah. And that now here's the advantage with uh, recruiting European kids is typically they're better students. Mm. Um, So they've got good study habits, they've got a good uh, background knowledge, that's a worldview. So we rarely have uh, very few issues academically with those kids. Uh, Yorgos is a 4.0 GPA, just as as an example, you know, Uh, they they tend to do very, very well and take their studies very seriously. And they really have an appreciation for having a scholarship and, and getting to earn a degree.
0: Yeah. And for anyone, and, and go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: That's okay. But yeah, on the road, I mean, the challenges of uh, hydration and nutrition and adequate sleep and stuff like that, and, and then making sure we, we're handling our academics is that, that that's entertaining.
0: Oh, I'm sure it is. And, you know, I know uh, that the, the, by the way, anyone listening Spring Hill college is a very good academic school uh, and, you know, so the young people that, uh, coach Kennedy's recruiting have to be pretty good in a classroom or they're not going to cut it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, a very good school.
1: We so, typically look at a, at a 20 ACT or a 12, 10 SAT, um, really don't, you know, 3.0 GPA, but the, the standardized test score is a better indicator of their success at college than the GPA, which tends to be inflated. Hmm. Um, so when people are and, and unfortunately with the NCAA change that they've made of doing away with standardized testing, so many people will say, Hey, well, my kid's got a 3.5 GPA. And well, what was his last test score? Well, he took it, you know, and he had a 16. Well, you you're not going to be able to handle the rigors of being a student athlete at our school with those kind of scores.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that that is it's so incredibly important because I know in my experience of working at Grove City College, Williams College, um, Hiram College, some other schools where we, had, we were basically going after tough, hard-nosed geniuses who wanted to play for free. Um, they had to be smart or they weren't, you know, they had to be smart. And the Spring Hill uh, student athlete has always been, uh, you know, even back in my days as a, as a um, arch rival Ram I always knew that the, the you know, academics were very, very strong over on the Hill. and um, So when you think about the skills that you need to be as successful as a sport professional, and that, that could be in a segment of sport. and You've got a lot of uh, varied experience. Uh, what are skills that you think are essential for success as a sport professional?
1: You know, the two hardest, we, we tell our guys this, the two hardest skills in any sport, it doesn't matter what sport, sport it is, volleyball, tennis, basketball, football, the ability to quickly move from point A to point B, to generate top, top quickness in a short distance is the hardest thing in sport. And then the second hardest thing in sport is the ability to stop and balance after generating that. Those are the two hardest things in sports. We talk to our guys about what we call FTS, which is first three steps you have to beat your opponent in the first three steps. Um, So a lot of our, our consequences um, in practice is is not running suicides and stuff like that, but it's a turn and sprint from baseline to center in 2.6 seconds. That way we're making the guys have to push off the floor and generate power and get into, get into top speed in a short distance, uh, because that's what you have to be able to do. Those are two hardest things.
0: Yeah. Kids, most of
1: the kids coming in just don't know how to go hard.
0: Well, okay. So when you think about it from that perspective and um, in, in the world of sport, if somebody's graduating from Spring Hill wants to go into a sport career, do you think that the two things you just brought up, which were specific to basketball, but do you think that working hard and being able to get to the spot first are important skills to climb the ladder in the sports
1: industry? You bet. Because if you can beat your person there, we always tell our guys, you learn one more skill. Then somebody else in your office on your team, that person's expendable. Hmm. So the the ability to work hard, I think, is a crucial skill for anybody to learn. And again, typically, foreign kids have very good work ethics. Right. And
0: yeah. then the
1: ability to get there and get the job done before somebody else is important. Well,
0: it's 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 uh, counterculture, wouldn't you say today?
1: You bet. I'm old yeah. school.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, and, and I think that that's too many times people think, well, times have changed, and you know, they have a little bit. But I do think that skills like what you were just talking about are things that I don't think they're timeless. I mean, would you agree with Correct.
1: that? Oh, I agree. I agree. We talk to our guys all the time about mental toughness, and, and our definition of mental toughness is 4 prong. What do I have to do right now? Do it to the best of your ability. Enjoy the process, and then you have to deliver you have to be able to deliver to be mentally tough. And you know I think that lesson that they can learn from what we're doing here can transfer to any, any job in, in the world. What do I have to do right now? It doesn't matter. Hurricanes gone through, death in the family, an illness in the family. What do I have to do right now? Do it to the best of your ability and enjoy the, the chance that you get to be there. The one thing that COVID has done in the last year is, is made a season so fickle. And we told our guys, we may have one game, we may have ten. You, be, we need to enjoy now, you know, be in the moment right now. And I think that transfers to to any occupation.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, another thing that uh, you know, I ask this question of all my guests, and it's regarding networking. Um, obviously, your ability to climb the ladder came from well, you had to work hard, right? But you also had to to make the connections to get uh, ahead, whether Mm -hmm. that was going from the Winnipeg position down to Lee Scott and then starting working with Coach Champy. How important is networking in this field and how do you approach it?
1: It, It's really, really uh, important because, and we tell our guys, you never know who your next boss is going to be. Yeah. You never know know who your next coworker is going to be. And how do you interact with people around you? this person you see walking down the hill may be a professor you don't know about. He may be on campus visiting and he's got a job. And the next thing you're going to interview. So I, I give this example with our guys. Uh, we were at Kentucky state two years ago and we, I always like to find unique little places to eat for the guys uh, because I enjoy food and I enjoy coffee. And so we found this place called Cliffside diner. It's literally built into the side of the cliff and our team fills three quarters of it when we get in there. So I'm sitting at the table and I just strike up a conversation with the guy next to me. And he says, where are you from? I said, we're from mobile. Oh, he says, I go down there fishing all the time. So, and you know, it's the example I use with our guys here. We are in the middle of kind of nowhere place. We've never been and the first guy we meet has been to mobile. So the example for the guys is always, listen, you don't know who you're going to sit by. Who's going to have a connection. You know, so being willing to approach people, able to converse with them, ask them about themselves. Why were you in Mobile? What were you doing? Boom, 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 boom. And so we really in networking, we're trying to teach our guys how to communicate effectively with others. And and so we work on that. We work on that on the court all the time with effective communication. It says right on the back of our practice talks, talk to me. Because communication is so important in athletics, but it's also important in the world as well. And as you know, cell phones have ruined communication so often. They've ruined shooting. People all say, well, how do cell phones ruin shooting? You remember when we were young, we were always taught, shoot like you're in a phone booth. But these kids don't know what a phone booth is these days. (laughs) So... I always say cell phones ruin shooting in some ways, but trying to get kids to to talk and get off those cell phones and just communicate with other people. I think that's crucial.
0: Yeah, it is. And I, you know, I know that, um, you you bring up the cell phone and the smartphone, I suppose. I know that they are so addictive and, uh, and I know, um, sometimes you just have to take a break from them. And it's amazing how, uh, how freeing it can be when you don't have it, and I know from the state. But uh, from the standpoint of networking, it, it really is all about uh, you know the way that you approach getting the word out about who you are,
1: right.
0: not just about selling yourself, but perhaps selling the uh, the potential that you have. I know from my standpoint, working with Bill Elder at Mobile. He was that first person that I really, you know, learned from that was, you know, had a division one mentality at a small college. And I've always been focused on the attention to detail aspect. And I think that um, when you have those kind of things, you know, I I talked uh, on a previous podcast episode about the importance of the handwritten thank you note. Yes, (laughs)
1: Yes. You know? <laughs> Don Meyer. Don Meyer was always on the importance of a note. You bet.
0: Yeah. And I actually received a, a couple of notes from Coach Meyer. Did you really? Oh man, what a and a and a blessing and a gift. Uh yes. back when I was really struggling and um in my coaching career. And and I think that uh having just because that's counterculture, that's not something that people do these days. They don't think about writing handwritten notes and it puts you to the top of the list many times sure. um, if, you're, if you're creative in that approach. So yeah. um, what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's getting started in a career in sports? Again, this is uh, any career, whether it's sports marketing, sports sales, you know, right. coaching, administration, you name it.
1: Well, one thing, work ethic. I mean, you have to have a tremendous work ethic in this business to succeed. You have to have a positive attitude um that's that's so important because there's so much that can can drag you down you have to be willing to learn something new all the time you always have to be learning i agree with you about the power of a note uh we make our guys write thank you notes on on a regular basis about things and then you i mean you have to have some faith because you can do everything right and you know what we talk about the intangibles in sport the intangibles are going to crop up and uh You've got to have faith to stick with believing in yourself and believing what, what you do, um, is doing the right thing for the right reasons. You know, Mm. my coaching philosophy is a golden rule, which is to treat other people the way I want my children to be treated. And, um, so we, we emphasize that. And I think those, those are really important if you're going to, if you're going to succeed, because again, how you treat somebody, is that the way you would want your child to be treated? You know, um, and I think that's, we, we talk to our guys about that all the time.
0: Yeah, that is a great segue to the final question. Uh, and it, it kind of connects to your philosophy you just stated from the Golden Rule. How do you hold the ladder for others?
1: Well, I I, I try to model behavior. The old saying, more is caught than what is taught. Um, so I try to do that. in, in just in little things, um, I always hold the door for our guys. And I think that's just, It's just a little thing of of my showing respect and appreciation for them. Uh, One thing I've always taught with the assistant coach is that leaders eat last. We don't eat as leaders until the group is taken care of. And when we have our team meals, we have no cell phones at our meals. This is a time to commune together as a group. And the nice part is that everywhere we've been at hotels, restaurants, people say, man, your kids are so polite. They're so respectful. Um, Get, opening my door to others, I try to really, anytime somebody emails me, whether it's a coach or, or, or a potential student-athlete, to reply to them, I think that's important, and then be willing to share um, experiences that I've been through, good or bad, with others, and I think in those ways, I tried to, to hold the ladder, and, you know, uh, my first year here, I had two assistant coaches who had really had no coaching background but wanted to coach and uh, willing to help them and get up to the next level.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, that's all very good. I mean, that's just great things that anyone can learn from, and in, in things that they, a person can do. I know um, one of the things that if some, some of my former players have stated, you know, the one thing that I learned from you, Coach Rice, was that you loved your wife. Wow. And, uh, that you, you know, you opened up her door every time, uh, which I will do for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, because not because it's some duty, but because it's, I love her and because it's the right thing to do, uh, I also had the opportunity in 2003 when I was a a faculty member and coach at Grove City College in Pennsylvania to be invited to Quantico, Virginia, to witness by the United States Marine Corps, to witness uh, basic school and uh, their officer candidate school there. And the people that were the leaders talking there, I actually watched it in the chow hall um, that the, the leaders ate last every time. And now they ate fast, but they yes. ate last. Yeah. And uh, and I remember, you know, being a military kid myself, and you know, just being able to. I think that we can learn so much when we have an opportunity to do what's right. And I think doing what's right is serving others. And I do believe that that is what holding ladders all about.
1: Servant um, leadership is, is so yes, important.
0: Sir absolutely and uh and it is and you know transformational too and um well, Craig, thanks so much for being a guest today. Uh, how would you like to close the podcast
1: boy um thank you for having me on here uh, i I just you know we need to we need to have such a heart of gratitude in in these times that we're in right now and to be so thankful um and and what can we do for others in a small area you know it may be bringing donuts to the office one day, you know, it may be sending an email out of thank you, boy, we're not in our offices, but we can email people and send out thank yous that way or the handwritten note, but just to express gratitude and and be thankful for the opportunities we have. I think this is the greatest country in the world. Uh, It provides in athletics, something that no other country does. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm forever thankful to the good Lord and to the people who have held the ladder for me to get me here.
0: Yeah. And you, you know, and I would thank you for having the willingness to come on, but also just having the mindset of thankfulness and gratitude. So I'm thankful for you. So thank Thank you so much, Greg. You too. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much, everyone, for uh, being here this week. We look forward to seeing you next Monday. Have a great week. Thanks for listening, and until next week, I challenge you to hold a ladder for someone to climb to greater heights than they ever
1: thought possible.